Are y'all ready for the Word of God? Because I'm going to tell you, I am ready to preach God's Word. Open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And we're continuing in our series, Unhindered, where we've been going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And I feel like this series title was a very appropriate one. Because if there's one thing that our adversary, the devil, would love to accomplish, it's to cause us to be hindered in our relationship with Christ. And in most every instance where I have witnessed someone fall away from their faith, it always began with something that just simply hindered their walk. Now, most of you guys know that I'm a word nerd. Um, I love words. I do. Uh, I love vocabulary. Uh, Why? Because I believe that words have the ability to change hearts, change minds, and change perspectives. And so having said that, let me give you the definition of the word hindered. I've given you the definition of the word unhindered. Let me give you the definition of the word hindered. Hindered means this, to make slow or difficult the progress of something or to hold back. And so whenever I say that the devil would love more than anything to hinder your relationship with Christ, what I mean is that the devil would love to slow down your growth as a Christian. He would love to make our progress of becoming fully mature believers something difficult. And of course, lastly, he would love to cause us to hold back on areas of our life that we should surrender to God. And he does this in a lot of different ways. For some people, it's through their relationships. With others, it's through various circumstances. Some people, it's because of their pride, their doubt, or their fear. But his tactics are always aimed at hindering our relationship with Christ. How many of you would say that there have been times in your walk with Christ that you were hindered? Hmm? Whether it was a recurring sin, a persistent doubt or a a nagging fear that uh, hindered your progress. Now, if you're here this morning and you can relate, as I'm sure that most of you can, uh, let me just let you know that you're not alone. See, the truth is that all who try to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they're going to face attacks, temptations, and afflictions. Like, none of us are exempt. As a matter of fact, you're not going to find one person in the Bible who didn't face these two various degrees. But the good news is that God's word holds the key to breaking free from these hindrances. It's like the antidote to the poison that the devil tries to inject into our spiritual lives. You see, church and coach hit this earlier, and Coach didn't know what I was going to talk about today, but it is God's word that exposes the lies and the temptations that we all face. And it's God's word that causes us to be spiritually healthy and strong. If I can say it like this, and if you're already taking notes, you can write this down. It's God's word that serves as the foundation for an unhindered life. Now, on that thought, I want us to pick back up where we left off last week, which is Colossians 3, 16. It says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, let's dive into what Paul's saying here. First of all, let me just make sure that you keep in mind that this is a continuation of Paul's letter. And anytime that you dive directly into the middle of a chapter, you also have to be mindful of what was said before what you're reading, that, that particular verse, and then also what it has to say afterwards. Because the text without context is nothing but pretext. Are you following with me? Now, we know the context of what Paul's saying here because we've examined every verse leading up to this one. Paul's talking about living a Christ-centered life. And about putting off the old self and putting on the new. And in this letter, Paul gives us the keys to living an unhindered life in Christ. In verse 16, he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Now, this right here is a verse that means so much to me because I have prayed this particular verse right here over my children thousands of times. Yes, I said thousands, <laughs> because if there's one thing that I can hope for my children, it's this, that they would let the word of God dwell in them richly. Now, so let me just break down why this particular verse is just so important. Paul starts with the word let, which signifies that it requires a willingness and a cooperation on our part. We are active Participants in this process. And it's a process that begins with an open and a receptive heart. A heart that's hungry for God's word and, and a willingness to be transformed by it. Now I know that for some of you, reading your Bible is a relatively new concept. And for others, you know that you should read your Bible. You just need some encouragement doing so. And so let me encourage you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if I could, I'm going to give you a little example here. Look at this sponge right here. Okay, this sponge, to me, is, is, is a, a great visual example of, of what we're talking about. Because just like our hearts, whenever we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, it will soak up inside of us. And the more we absorb the more we're transformed by it. And church, this is the process of growth and renewal in our lives. But watch this. I can't expect to just go and, and soak up this water once and then think that it's going to give me everything that I need moving forward. I mean, if I were just to simply take this right here and place it in my garage and then go and expect to grab it later on this week and use it, well, guess what? I'm going to be disappointed. Because it's not going to be wet. It's going to be dry. Sadly, this is the reality for many Christians. They attend church on Sunday. They soak up God's word. Then they go about their week without returning back to the source. Then they wonder why God's word doesn't seem to provide them with everything that they need. But the issue isn't with God's word. It's with their failure to keep it saturated in their heart. They've let their hearts soak up God's word on Sunday. They attend on Sunday, but come Friday, they don't do anything and now they're dry. 
And they would say that God's word didn't give them what they needed, but in reality, they didn't allow their hearts to be saturated with his word. Now watch this, church. And this is what you need to know because you can come and you can get filled up this morning and you can be excited. But how many of you know that Monday has its way of squeezing you? And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday has its way of squeezing you. And then before long on Saturday, you got nothing. It's dry. What do you mean by all that, Pastor? I mean where to daily return to the river of God. Where to return to the brook that never runs dry. You see, spending time in God's word, meditating on his truths and his promises, church, that should become as regular to us as eating food. Hey, why do you think that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone? but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. It's because it's in him that we live, we move, and we have our being. See, so many Christians, they are living in a constant dry season. And oftentimes the reason why is because they don't frequent the river of God. Sure, they go to church and allow themselves to be saturated on Sunday, but they fail to return to the river the rest of the week. And so come Friday, they're spiritually dehydrated. Are y'all following me on this analogy? I'm talking about the part that God has called you and I to in cooperation and participation with the Holy Spirit. It's an active pursuit where we allow the word of God to soak up and to permeate our entire being. Paul goes on to say, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly. And I love this imagery right here because we understand what it means to dwell. And to dwell means it's giving reference as to where we live. And so Paul is saying, let the word of Christ live in you richly. However, this isn't a call for us to treat our hearts like an Airbnb where you grant access to certain rooms, but others are off limits. Like God's not looking for a temporary place to stay or nor to be your roommate. He longs for a people who wholeheartedly invite him into the most intimate and concealed parts of their hearts. Why? Because those are the places where you need him the most. <laughs> I couldn't help but to think of this illustration, but if you have ever been to the Tomlinson household, then you would know that Jody always keeps our place looking great. I mean, she has the gift of OCD, which actually works for her in, in many, many uh, regards. And one of them is with our home. Like, I love our home. I, I'm proud to show people the home um, and what she, she's done with it. However, whenever it comes to my office, and the garage, that's my domain. And I wasn't blessed with the same gift that she was given. And so whenever we have guests over, <laughs> no joke, Jody will always say, don't take people into your office and don't go show them the garage. And the reason that she says that is because it's almost always a mess. 
Again, let me throw out a little disclaimer right now. I am the reason for that mess, okay? Now, why do I tell you this? Because I think that often we just want to show God the good parts. You know, the part that has it all together. But we want to keep him away from seeing our mess. But friends, watch this. God is not put off by your mess. He is well aware of our imperfections and our chaos. He knows our tendencies. He knows our flaws. He's well acquainted with our struggles. As a matter of fact, those are the areas where he wants us to give him access. Why? Because he wants to transform those areas of your life. This is where so many people get the wrong understanding of God. Because they think one of two things. They think that they have to get their life together before they can come to God or go to God, which of course is a lie because you can never get your life together outside of God. I mean, even if you think you can get it together, you can't keep it together, not without God. Or two, they think that they can just invite God into part of their life and still be a Christian. They essentially tell God through how they live, well, God, you could have access to the kitchen and to the guest bedroom and the living room, but you can't go into my room or the office. <laughs> and the deception in this second way of thinking is that they believe that God will just settle for whatever they will give them, as if he's not deserving of every part of our heart. And I call it a deception because at the root of this is a lie that believes that the world has something better to offer than what God has. And if you believed that, can I just tell you, you've believed the lie. 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Well, what's it mean to set apart something? It means that it's separate from everything else. Like, it, it, it takes preeminence. It's, it's superior in all regards. It's the most important thing. And so in context with what Paul is saying right here, when he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, he's telling us that God's word should remain supreme over all things. Now, let me just highlight what Paul says next, because he doesn't just say to simply allow it to dwell in you. But he says to allow it to dwell in you richly, which means to allow it to dwell in you in abundance. Again, word nerd in me has to expound on what abundance means because abundance means that we are amply supplied. Let me put it like this. When we lived in Roswell, our home was somewhere around 60 years old, and we had a large pecan tree in our front yard. Well, a mature pecan tree will produce somewhere right at 50 pounds of pecans, which are more pecans that, and I can eat a lot, as you can tell, but um, it's more that me and my family could eat all year long. And so what did we do? Well, we gave them to family, we gave them to friends, and we gladly did it because we had an abundance. We were amply supplied. See, whenever you let the word of God dwell in you, richly, this beautiful thing takes place. Not only does it provide for you, but it will also provide through you. 
God's word, when we let it dwell in our hearts, has its way of transforming our relationships, our communities, and the world around us. I'm talking about the heart that's filled with his word. That heart will radiate Christ's love, his compassion, and his grace to those that are around them. And this is what it means when it says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But Paul doesn't just stop there because he continues on by saying, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So that tells me right there that I'm not just to just keep it to myself, right? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now imagine if you could a community of believers who they've immersed themselves in the word of God. That community can provide counsel, encouragement, and direction for one another. I mean, it would be like a built-in support system whenever we face times of difficulty in our lives. And this is where I want to highlight a particular word here. But first of all, understand that this is a two-sided coin. Let me hit on that for a moment because whenever it comes to what we're talking about, there will be times when God will use us as the one who's providing the counsel and the direction to others. But then there will be other times where God will use the community of believers around us. And this is where I want to just highlight that word admonishes, which Paul uses in verse 16. See that word right there, admonishes, it actually has two definitions. Did you know that? Like one means to exhort, which we all love and appreciate, right? But you know what the second definition means? It's to warn, right? Yet even that definition, even that definition conveys the love of Christ. Church, can I ask you something? How do you respond to the correction from fellow believers? Hmm? Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not sure. I haven't had anyone correct me in a while. Well, that prompts another question. Why isn't anyone ever bringing correction your way? I mean, I guess you could say it's that you've got it all together and no correction is needed. That's possible, but not probable. <laughs> I guess it could be that the other people in your life, they, they, they feel like it's not their responsibility to bring correction. Like, sure, I guess that could be the case for some. Or could it be that others have tried to offer loving correction in the past, but you've resisted it or rejected it, causing them to eventually stop trying? Or even more probable, you got offended. Now, let's be honest. None of us love correction. We love what it produces within us, but the process can be uncomfortable and challenging. Yet it's essential for us to remember that correction within the body of believers is, is an expression of love and care aimed at our spiritual well-being and growth. And so it's for that reason that we must remain open to both giving and receiving correction. Are you hearing me, church? Just to be sure that I'm making this clear, the correction that we're talking about is the correction that comes from the wisdom of God's word. 
not our opinion. That's why Paul says to admonish one another in all wisdom. So I just feel the need to address this because your prophetic word or your dream will never supersede what God says. I remember something someone said to me years ago when, when they said what they said, like, I was a young believer, and I just knew in my spirit something wasn't right. And so when he said it, I started filtering it through the word, but you got to know the word. And I thought, man, that's not right. And so I shared what the Bible said. I said, well, you know, the Bible says this. And his response back to me was, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what God told me. Well, I don't know what God he was talking to because I'll tell you this. God will never contradict his word. Are you hearing me, church? He will never contradict his word. But today we have Christians who aren't able to discern what is or isn't from God. And the reason, we, the, the, the reason that they're not able to discern it is because they don't know his word. Church, I can't emphasize enough. Coach, you hit this on the head today. I cannot emphasize enough how vitally important it is that we know truth. I remember whenever I got up and I had to preach to a group of Haitians uh, about seven years ago, and I had my little notes together. The reason I keep notes is if I don't have notes, I'll get up here and talk for two hours. That's a reason when I step aside, sometimes my wife will be like, get back to your notes because, you know, we got a time thing here. But I remember I had my notes, and, and, and I laid them to the side. And I said, I'm just going to preach what's in my heart right now. Not that my notes aren't in my heart. I've prayed those things through. By the way, someone, someone really gave me something good on that one time. Can I just share this? Is it okay? Here, here I go right now, away from the notes, right? <laughs> but I remember a guy had a series. He was preaching a series one time. And, and me being a young guy, I went to him. I said, man, I was like, so like, you prepare all that in advance? I said, wow. I said, what about if like God wants to speak something that morning? He goes, oh, don't get me wrong. I always allow God to call an audible. He says, but I understand that if you can't hear what God wants to do two weeks earlier, I understand that. And I said, oh, point taken. There was someone that was older that spoke that in love to me, right? And so I just took a squirrel, and I don't know where I was going chasing the squirrel. Where was I going with that? Haiti. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. So I got up there, and I laid my notes off to the side. And you know what? And here's what I shared with them, the one thing that was in my spirit. And I'm going to share it with you right now. There's that which, there's two things that exist, that which is true, that which is a lie. That's it, man. When you strip everything down, strip it all down, strip it all down, get down to the root of it. There's that which is the truth, that which is a lie. How are you going to know the difference? Well, what my grandma taught me, what my dad, well, you know what? Here, here's the problem about that. Look, I had a great grandma, but understand that people can tell you things and be sincere in what they tell you, but they may be sincerely wrong. Matter of fact, and I've said this many times and throughout the past, even if I'm a man, right, I'm not Jesus up here in the pulpit, even if I say something that's off, you've got to filter it through the word. But the only way you're going to be able to filter it is if you know the word. And so you've got to apply this in every, this is so applicable in every single area of your life. Knowing God's word isn't just something that, well, I know I should do that. That's what the pastor should say. No, you need to know the word of God if you plan on working a job, if you plan on being married, oh, if you want to have a relationship with anyone, if you want to parent children. I mean, man, I got to have the word of God just to go to Walmart and get back or else I'm going to end up in jail. <laughs> Are y'all with me this morning? 
I'm just trying to break this down and show you how practical it is. I've said this, you'll hear me, I know I sound like a broken record play, but if there's any one thing I could get you to do, it's to spend time in God's word. Trust me whenever I say to you that you don't want my prophetic dream to be the lamp to your feet or the light unto your path. No, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's the only thing that will last once everything else has come and gone. And friends, everything's going to come and be gone. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Hold on to that which will last. That which is yes and amen. Amen? (laughs) All right. Now let's look at what Paul says next. He says to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, for many of you, this right here comes natural, so I don't have to try to sell you on uh, this point. But I want to speak to those of you that it doesn't come natural. Because I was one of those, believe it or not, I was one of those who it didn't come natural. There's some of you all, you guys sing in the shower, you sing when you're driving down the road, you'll sing when you're in line at at Target. But um, I wasn't that guy, right? Now, people that know me today would say, no, Chris, you are so that guy. Um, Yes, I am now, but I wasn't. It wasn't until I grabbed a hold of the power of what we're talking about right here, which is singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that I fell in love with it. Because I found that in doing so, it helped me to better understand God and to understand myself. And let me explain what I mean, because this, this is, you could do a word study on each one of these, and I encourage it, by the way, when Paul talks about the, the psalms, the hymns, and the spiritual songs. Like, when he mentions psalms, first of all, he's referring to the book of psalms. And by the way, I love that many of our, our songs uh, include the psalms in them. You may not realize that, but for those of you that you know the word, I, there's many of them today. I'm like, oh, that's the Bible. Oh, that's the Bible. Oh, that's awesome. And... Um, And so the book of Psalms, it covers a wide range of human experiences, like everything from joy and celebration to sorrow and lamenting. And they teach us that it is entirely appropriate to bring our whole selves before God, including our emotions and our struggles. I mean, King David beautifully modeled this for us. He really did. And then... Paul talks about hymns. And again, I'm mentioning each one of these so that you just don't throw all three of these just under the umbrella of, of praise and worship. Yes, it is, but it, it's important that you understand that each one has its place here and, and not miss Paul's intention in highlighting each of them. So each one of them, they have a place in our life. Like, for example, hymns are songs of praise and, and adoration that specifically focuses on the attributes and the character of God. And hymns are often um, filled with great theological truths and doctrine. And they've been a a vital part of our our Christian worship uh, for centuries by helping believers articulate their faith and declare the greatness of our God. They also provide us with an opportunity to join with the broader church in singing these same timeless truths and affirming our shared beliefs. And then lastly, Paul mentions spiritual songs. 
And these are songs that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they encompass a variety of expressions. And this would be the majority of what we sing here at, at Destiny. They're songs that have been written, but they're also songs that can be sung spontaneously. They're melodies, if I could just say it this way, that just well up from within us. And so Paul encourages us to do all three. He invites us to a holistic and diverse worship experience. And in so doing, we engage our hearts, our minds, and our spirits in praise to our Lord, one in which brings about transformation, and it cultivates intimacy with Christ. But at the end of these three styles of praise and worship, Paul then says that we are to do such with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, if you've been following along all throughout this series, you'll notice that Paul is continually bringing us back to gratitude. Why? Because gratitude causes our perspective to be in proper alignment. Remember that everything that Paul is talking about here is in reference to putting on that new person, that, that, that new self. It's him giving us the keys to living an unhindered life in Christ. And then he comes along and he puts the cherry on top by writing verse 17. He says, and whatever you do, in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul leaves no room for compartmentalized Christianity. But instead, he calls us to integrate our faith into every aspect of our lives. This means that in everything that we do, whether it's in word or in deed, that it should reflect the nature, the character, and the teachings of Christ. Now, I want you to imagine, if you could, what our homes and our communities, our schools, our workplaces, what they would look like if every believer took this verse right here to heart. Our interactions with one another would be marked by grace, it'd be marked by humility by love. Our decisions, they would be guided by biblical principles, and our words would be seasoned with kindness and truth. And here's the most beautiful part. Paul emphasizes that it's through God that we do all of this giving of thanks. You don't have to manufacture it. It's all through his power and his grace. You see, gratitude is the fuel that powers our unhindered Christian life. When we live with a heart of thankfulness, it transforms our perspective. We recognize that every good and perfect gift, it comes from God, and we acknowledge his sovereignty over our lives. It's a reminder that even in the midst of our most difficult circumstances, that God is at work for our good. And so we Offer him thanks not only for the blessings, but we also offer him thanks for the lessons that we have learned through ad adversity. So let me just summarize today's lesson with this thought. An unhindered life in Christ is characterized by a heart that is saturated with his word. A commitment to living out our faith in all that we do and an attitude of continuous thanksgiving. Church, this is the person who will carry out everything that God has purposed for their life. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that person. Amen? Come on, anyone with me? Come on, stand with me if you would. Join me in prayer. Did y'all receive God's word this morning? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We're so grateful for your grace and how you received us, all our mess. And through it, you're doing something beautiful. God, my prayer is that each one of us would cause your spirit and your word to dwell in every part of our lives. May we no longer be held back in giving you, Lord, all of who we are. And Lord, in giving you all of what you deserve. But instead, we surrender. And through our surrender, God, we ask you to transform us into the image of your son. When people see us, may they see the Christ in us. May we shine the light of Jesus in such a way that our words and our deeds truly reflect who you are. And for everything that you've done, and for everything that you're doing, and for everything that you're about to do, we give you praise. We trust your sovereignty. You are Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. In the same attitude of prayer, I just want to ask who's here this morning, and you're not in right standing with God. Friend, I want you to know that the only way that you can be in right standing with God is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's only through Jesus' death on the cross that we are able to stand before God, whole and complete. It's only through Jesus' blood that our sin can be washed away. So I just want to ask who's here this morning, and you would say yes to Jesus. That means that you are looking to God to do what you can't do in your life. You're looking to the one whose death, burial, and resurrection promised you, guaranteed you that your sin would be washed as white as snow and that God would take it and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Now, hear me because maybe you're here this morning and you don't realize or you don't understand what I'm talking about. Well, friends, each and every one of us have sin in our lives. Anyone perfect in this room? Nope. Even the most staunch atheist would agree with that statement. But guess what? The Bible says that all have sinned. None are perfect. All have sinned, and they've come up short of the glory of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus came to pay a price that you couldn't pay. And he willingly offers that debt paid in full this morning by focusing upon him as Lord and Savior, as putting him as Lord of your life. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to confess him as Lord and Savior, friend, you can do so right now. And I just want to invite you as a minister of the gospel to pray with me this prayer of surrender. Many in this room, the majority in this room have already prayed this prayer. And I'm talking not only to those of you that are here in person, but I'm also talking to those online who may watch this message. Maybe you're watching it now. Maybe you'll watch it later this week in a few years down the road. I want you to know that if you're hearing this message, that this invitation has no expiration date. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you want Jesus to be 
be the Lord of your life, if you want to have the guarantee of forgiveness of sin and the promise of heaven and purpose for living, I invite you to pray with me right now. We're going to all confess Jesus as Lord right now. Saints of God, join in. Pray loud after me. Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world, for my sin. And Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave, just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we thank God for salvation this morning? Hallelujah.